You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Welcome, welcome, bienvenido, bienvenue, benvenuti a tutti. Welcome one and all. Thank you for joining me. I'm Dahlia Wild and this is the Oh My God Particle Show, where we talk about science and art and music and good, good, good vibrations and all matters near and far. So ready or not, unpack your imaginations and get ready to rumble through the universe that we are so, so lucky to live in. We are the stars. But first, a joke. A listener from Pratt's Bottom shared this. A passenger called the airlines. I'm calling to find out if faster than light flights are available. The ticket agent replied. Yes, we do have faster than light flights. But tickets must be purchased at least three weeks in advance and a Saturday night stay is required. <laughs> I love jokes. Hey, OMG PSers, send us your best jokes and your questions and wonderings about particle physics, the universe, the Big Bang, whatever the heck inspires you. We love it and we'll try to get answers for you from our CERN geniuses. Our email is omgpspod at gmail.com. That's omgpspod at gmail.com. Remember, there are no dumb questions in particle physics. Hi. I'm Dahlia Wild, and this is my co-host, Higgs Boson Wonder Dog. Welcome back to the Oh My God Particle Show. Thank you for joining us. On today's show, we have two very groovy brainiacs. We have the returning champ from New Zealand, my excellent Kiwi mentor from the Large Hadron Collider and Duke University, Dr. Mark Cruz. And our other guest today, she's originally from Italy. Her name is Dr. Daniela Bordoletto. She's the head of particle physics at the University of Oxford. And miracle of miracles, when I was introduced to the great Daniela, it turns out that she was my mentor, Mark's mentor. Mentors of mentors. Mentors really rule. 
and they both were co-discoverers of the god particle at CERN, where they are again researching together at the Large Hadron Collider, looking at collisions at even higher energies. Hi, Daniela. It's so great to meet you. Tell me all about running the whole particle physics department at Oxford. It's a big responsibility. I have 26 faculty working in the sub-department of particle physics, and we are in a lot of experiments, you know, from, from ATLAS uh, to, um, you know, all of the neutrino experiment in Japan uh, and in uh, the U.S., uh, and in Canada, actually, we, um, and then we are on LZ, an experiment that is looking, uh, you know, to search, is searching for dark matter directly, uh, which is also based in the US. So really, you know, it's, it's a, you know, it, it, it's a lot of people. It's a big sub-department and there is a very strong tradition for particle physics here in Oxford. So if you look at almost all of the professors at the, the other universities in the UK, they almost all graduated from Oxford University. It's quite amazing, actually. <laughs> what is this uh, undergraduate conference for women in physics that you are in charge of the UK arm of that? Ah, uh, yes. So it started in the US and actually it was started by uh, two graduate students at the University of uh, Southern California uh, many years ago now. And this, this student realized that there was a big imbalance in the number of uh, women in physics. And so they decided to do something. And what they did, they did really this event in which, uh, you know, you will have... Uh, undergraduate student will be invited for three days and they will interact with role models, um, uh, you know, mainly uh, women at other stages of their career. And also, you know, they will have a lot of panels, uh, you know, to understand better of the possibility of what you can do with a degree in physics, both in industry or in academia. And this really was a uh, really aim to give confidence to women to continue in physics. Hmm. And the first conference had 26 women. Uh, now it's 1,500 women going to the conference in the U.S. and Canada. And when I came in the U.K., in Oxford, I met, by chance, of course, a woman who attended uh, the conference in Southern California. And because of that, you know, I decided that would be a good idea to start it also in the UK. In the US, it's done in multiple locations so that people don't have to travel a lot. But in the UK, we had like one location and we had it in Oxford for five years because I started it. And now it's going around the UK and Ireland. Uh, we invite 100 women and uh, it has exactly the same effect in the UK that it had actually mm. in the US. Women after the conference believe that they are physicists, have confidence to continue in physics, they are energized. You know, there is a major step, again, I repeat again, in confidence. Yes. You know, um, it was fantastic for me too, uh, because I was coming to a different country. I didn't know anybody in the UK really. Well, I knew some people in the UK, but I didn't know the system very well. And by Starting the conference, you know, I got to know many, many fantastic women scientists here, I mean, women physicists, and it's, it was fabulous for me. I mean, every time I enter a conference where we have a lot of women or, 
or anybody who identified as women in the conference, you really feel a boost. You know, mm. when I went to Purdue, you know, and I started an assistant professor uh, there, I was the first female professor since 1945. <laughs> when I entered the room, I think that the first class that I studied, uh, that I taught at Purdue, uh, was actually, I think it was mechanics or no, electricity and magnetism for engineers. I entered the room and I was the only woman in the room. Uh, I mean, you know, it was like uh, unbelievable. <laughs> Things have changed. How did you get started? Because I'm really interested in how being an extraordinary happening of a woman walking into a classroom where you're the only one, how is this <laughs> going to become ordinary? You know, where we don't even have to say that it's a woman you know, a particle physicist is a woman. So how, how did you start and how did you have your confidence to use your imagination and creativity for science? And um, where did, did you grow up in the Alps? I grew up in the Alps. I come from a small town in, uh, in the Italian Alps called Domodossola. Uh, yeah, I think that the likelihood that I would become a physicist and the head of particle physics in, in Oxford is infinitesimally small. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. You know, it's it's really difficult because, you know, I'm the first person to get a, an undergraduate education. You know, my mother and my father didn't go to university. My father died when I was nine years mm. old, leaving my mother and I um, really in a rather shaky economical situation. And so I... I really, you know, honestly, I one step at a time and uh, always being keen to learn from other people, mm. uh, to learn from their experience. It was not even clear that I could go as, uh, you know, as I was growing up to the schools that was necessary to do a degree in physics. But uh, it, it was sort of amazing because in my hometown, we had a very, very famous private uh, Lyceum mm -hmm. uh, to do um, that was as a road to to do a degree in physics, but that would have been completely unaffordable. And really, the the year that I was ready to go to the Lyceum, they opened a state school, uh, a Lyceum, mm -hmm. uh, state school Lyceum in my hometown, and I went to that one. I graduated with the top mark, and everybody was so lovely and so excited mm -hmm. because it was almost like. Uh, the kid from the wrong side of the track <laughs> that get, uh, you know, the, the grade is called 60 over 60 because mm. you get, you know, 100%. And to have the state school kids that got uh, the 60 over 60 was, mm. uh, was amazing. And everybody was uh, so excited. So I'm almost like a hero in my school. You are in my, in a my heroine. <laughs> you are. <laughs> so, and again, my, it was really actually my physics teacher, a man, who really, mm told me that I should try it, you know. And, and then I was, um, I went to school uh, as an undergraduate at the University of Pavia. And mm -hmm. I was ad admitted in a very prestigious college called Collegio Ghislieri, which was funded in 1567 by Pope Pius V <laughs> uh, to accommodate very promising student men. You know, it was really, you know, mm -hmm. it was only for men and women were uh, admitted starting in 1965. Mm -hmm. um, and so it, it was really, you, you know, you can take this experience and take it negatively because mm -hmm. uh, honestly, I was coming from the high school in a very small town and uh, 
uh, I had to deal with a lot of classmates that were better prepared than I, I was. Mm-hmm. But again, I never find that, uh, you know, I somehow always find this uh, enormous appetite for mm-hmm. learning, you know. And uh, and so for me, it was just very motivated. I just said, oh, gosh, I'll have to study more. You know, I just had mm-hmm. to work more. Then in my third year of university, I was admitted to the CERN summer student program. And I spent, you know, the whole summer at CERN and I just loved it. And there I really decided that I wanted to be a particle physicist. You know, I had like... uh, uh, amazing lecturer. I think that one of my lecturers was uh, uh, Martinus Beltman, uh, the Nobel Prize of hmm. Physics, you know, s- teaching me the standard model. I mean, you know, it's <laughs> like, uh, it was unbelievable. It was, uh, uh, and, you know, you were doing research and you were really in, in this very international environment, which I love at CERN, this idea that, uh, uh, you know, part of the feelings that I have uh, you know, and I always wanted to be at a university, is that really, you know, it's, it's universal. It brings everybody together. You know, I, uh, I always felt like CERN was another place that brought everybody together. And I, I just find this uh, international aspect of CERN where everybody is working together to get their experiment working completely, you know, amazing and completely, you know, uh, very motivating for me. I me I love it too. I, I that's the best thing in the entire universe how that we could all be working together and it's so yes. exciting that you had all these helping hands. I've I've always had that too and like Mark he he was just a delight <laughs> when I called him with my crazy question. So I have a theory that that because you were his mentor at Purdue that I mean Mark is already awesome and so creative and talented and patient but how was he as a student? Yeah, uh, Mark actually was my first student, so he, he deserved a special, <laughs> uh, a special place, I think, you know. And uh, he, he was not only my student, he was a shared student because I was starting up. And, uh, you know, I was learning. Until then, I mainly worked in an E plus, E minus machine at lower energy. And for me, it was a very big step to go to CDF, which was an amazing experiment at the Tevatron, a proton-antiproton collider reaching the highest energy in the world. So, uh, so I was learning with Mark, actually. So it was a fantastic experience. And I remember Mark, you know, as, as I said, is special. Your first student is always special. <laughs> and he spent also a lot of time also collaborating with uh, people at the University of Chicago, etc. Because, you know, in this big collaboration, uh, we are always working together. You know, it's not, uh, you know, um, it's not one person that does the, the all analysis at times. There is always, it's always a collaborative work, you know. And so it was, uh, it was amazing. And I was learning at the time with, with Mark in some sense. Yeah. Hmm. Mark, Daniela was saying how you were her first student and you're That's just... right. Yeah. That's a, that's a long time ago now, but... Um... Yeah, and you we, you were a joint student with uh, with Arkar Finkel, you remember? And that's right. then I think you I, work you worked a lot also with the University of Chicago. I was saying, you know, so yes, it was right. really amazing. Yeah, amazing yeah. times, and yeah, it was so it was so exciting. You know, we discovered the top work, and uh, uh, Mark Keys is is uh, is uh, you know is one of the elements that led uh, you know to the discovery huh. of the top work. So so it was really fantastic time. And what yeah, is very exciting? Tell. Tell us a little bit about the top quark and uh, Mark about your thesis. Yeah, sure. So this was um, 
you know, it was, it was fortuitous in, in, in the timing sense because uh, this was in the early 1990s. Um, and, you know, we believed that the top quark existed. So, so the top quark, just to, you know, step back a, li uh, a little bit, um, you know, everything that we observe, you know, is made up of what's, what we call the first generation of fundamental particles. So up quarks, down quarks, and electrons. Um, but there are another two sort of generations of fundamental particles. We don't, we have no idea why, why there's three, why aren't there 17 or two or whatever. So we, we have no idea why. Um, but the, the top quark is the sort of third generation partner to the up quark, which is one of the fundamental constituents of protons and neutrons and things that, you know, we are made of. Um, but it's, it's something that, you know, lasts very ephemerally. I mean, it, you, um, you, you, you create them and then they decay almost instantaneously. So what we have to detect is, you know, the remnants of their decay products when, when, as soon as they decay. Um, and so the top quark was theorized to, to exist. And so we didn't know how heavy it would be. And so that this is one of, this is one of the complications in, in finding it because we don't know, we didn't know exactly where to look. Mm -hmm. um, we had some ideas. Um, and so there's, but there's a lot of different ways it can actually decay. So it can decay into other particles that we then detect. And so it can do that in a number of different ways. And so my thesis was on one of those possibilities, you know, one of those ways it can decay. It wasn't considered at the time a very fruitful sort of decay channel, but it, it worked it out. Worked. I mean, it, it worked. I mean, it was amazing that it, that it worked. <laughs> and so it was actually, it ended up being quite an important contribution to the uh, entire discovery. So that was, it was really exciting and a very stressful time. Because <laughs> you know, very as, stressful. As, as a graduate student, you know, you, we had to show updates every week and it was, you know, really quite incredibly stressful <laughs> to get all that done. I was quite, quite glad when it was all over. But that was an extremely exciting time when we could actually announce that, okay, we've now seen, you know, evidence for the, the signals for these top quark decays. Huh. And it's an amazing particle in a sense. It's extremely heavy. Its mass is like 200 times the mass of the proton. I mean, you know, and it decays instantaneously, as Mark said. It's a very interesting particle because now that we have discovered the Higgs boson, for example, we explain the mass of the particle in terms of its interaction with the field of the Higgs boson. And the top quark has what we call these interactions, we call it coupling, as a coupling that is equal to one. But for example, the electron has a very small coupling, 10 to the minus six, something like that. Okay. So it's really, and as Mark said, you know, we don't know why we have this different generation of particles. And perhaps, you know, understanding better these couplings and understanding better the Higgs boson can solve, help us solve the mystery of, uh, we call it the mystery of flavor. <laughs> yeah, and, and, I, and I think you know, the, the, the top quark is still the heaviest fundamental particle we know. I mean, that we it's found, heavier, it, yeah. it's, it's heavier than the Higgs boson even. So the fundamental particles couplings to this Higgs field, which give them their, their, their mass, we don't know why or what fundamentally generates these different couplings. Hmm. Um, and, and so understanding the Higgs boson more, and so this is one of the goals in the next you know, several years at, at the LHC is to understand the Higgs boson better. Now that we've discovered it, you know, there's still a lot we need to uh, measure about it and, and just understand. And so it, it is one of our sort of big mysteries. And it's always, I always think that, 
you know, whenever we discover something, it just opens up another you know, <laughs> whole set of, you know, fundamental questions that we don't know. So the, the more we discover, the less we know in some sense, which is, you know, which makes the field extremely exciting. I mean, we're really probing, you know, the fundamental nature of the universe. And I think, uh, um, you know, the more questions we have, you know, I, I almost believe, you know, the more questions you have, the closer you, you're sort of getting to it. <laughs> yeah, and it's almost like, you know, we, we say that we understand mass, uh, but in a sense, now we have just translated the problem of why the masses of this particle are so different in the problem of why the coupling of this particle with the Higgs fields are so different. <laughs> so, <laughs> what are your experiments now? Tell we are on the do. same experiment. Woo-hoo! We are on the Atlas <laughs> experiment. Yes. Right. Yeah, we are collaborators. Collaborators again. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Collaboration is is so important because a lot of times we think science is solitary and that is definitely so exciting of the like international collaboration. Can you tell me what just so we could add a little tiny glamour? What was the beauty experiment? Was that at CERN? Was that your mentor? Yeah, my advisor um, Sheldon Stone, who passed away actually recently, uh, is one of. Uh, uh, was one of the uh, experts uh, in uh, in the beauty in the physics of the big quark, which is also called the beauty quark, and so he was uh, um, uh, especially influential in LHCb. Uh, I worked with him in another experiment, which was called Clio, that was at Cornell University. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, it's uh, um, he was fundamental in. Uh, in my development as a scientist, I mean, it was so hard nosed. I mean, you know, it was really uh, phenomenal. You know, this kind of going back to the basics and, you know, mm-hmm. don't tell me something that is not true. I mean, you know, very, <laughs> very uh, amazing scientist, really, you know. And, uh, um, you know, so I really work very closely with, with him uh, on B physics. So my thesis uh, was on B physics. And, and it's strange now that, you know, I'm back doing, in a sense, uh, you know, H2BB. So the Higgs decaying into two uh, beauty quarks. Oh. So, so that's what the H2BB stands for? Yeah, yes, yes, yes. So it's going to beauty, they, they, we call the B quark is a beauty quark, yeah. <laughs> and how do you come up with that name? That's like a T-shirt, top quark and beauty quark. Well, it's, it's and really, charm. Yeah, charm. but the the, the 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 top and bottom quarks are quite often called the truth and beauty quarks. Huh. Yeah, so, so they mean the same thing, but um, truth and beauty are, I think, a little too poetic for physicists. I think oh, prefer to call them top it. and bottom, unfortunately. <laughs> but I think tr- truth and beauty are, I think, are, are much more descriptive names. We're going to have to sell those T-shirts along with the pet god particle, which is basically a <laughs> box of air. Uh, you guys are just awesome. And I, I just hope we can get the message out how wonderful and amazing and supportive and collaborative, you know, this field is and that we can hope to build the confidence, especially women and girls and everyone in between will need. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so they'll believe in their visions and to follow it through the experimentations. Was that true that Cecilia Payne Kapushkin, she took like, maybe it's an exaggeration, three million, you know, recordings of stars and just that that persistence, which is just so important in science. Persistence is extremely important in science. And I think that it's really one of the reasons that makes a break a scientist, you know, and you know, anybody in any yeah. field, yeah, especially, yeah. But again, it's the same thing, actually. Uh, you know, here in Oxford, we have Jocelyn Belbonnell, 
And again, you know, she was able to see pulses. I mean, really by looking at meters and meters and meters of recording. And again, she was extremely persistent. And I do think that is some also characteristic. You know that women often have this imposter syndrome. Yes, I have it. <laughs> yeah. So, but, uh, and again, not only women, but I do think that sometimes having a little bit of the imposter syndrome helps you to achieve almost this persistence. I don't know mm-hmm. what to say, because you really want uh, you know, to do everything, uh, to think that uh, you have not left any stone unturned, mm. that you really have been systematic. And, uh, and I do think that uh, a lot of women who have done, um, you know, important contributions of science tend to have that, uh, you know, this persistence, this uh, commitment. This, uh, it's so important. Yeah, I think I completely agree with that. I think imposter syndrome is a real thing. And I, I think it does motivate you to in, in some sense have a deeper understanding of things i mean you sort of see it if you don't feel that you belong or you feel that someone else understands something better than you although they probably don't they're just better at you know making you believe they understand mm-hmm. something better it's, it's quite quite often they they simply don't but in some sense it sort of motivates you to have a, a, a deeper understanding i mean it's a uh, I completely sort of empathize with, you know, where Daniela came from. It's the same in, in my case. You know, neither of my parents even graduated high school, so I never really believed that, you know, I <laughs> deserved to be, you know, where I am. It's, it's, hmm. uh, it's, but I think that really is a, a motivating factor. And if you've got a sense of sort of competition that you want to, um, you know, learn more than, you know, or know more than someone else, it really does sort of motivate you to to uh, do that. So I think that is a really important component. It's, it's sort of interesting, as, as Daniela mentioned, that uh, quite a few people in very high positions, you know, in, in, the, in the physics community, you know, did not come from very privileged or, you know, academic backgrounds, right? mm. it's, um, necessarily. So, you know, they, they came from environments that I, I believe sort of allowed them to sort of interact better with other people and huh. you can tell you know you know Danielle is extremely good at interacting with people getting amazing people you know groups around her and I think that's that's almost a, a you know a, a very key component as well and also Florencia Canelli had said her father was a car mechanic and exactly she yeah, said she never right. noticed yeah, yeah. she was the only no, woman no. until your it's, wedding it's, it's, <laughs> yeah, that's so. It's it's really interesting. It's really yeah. If you look at where where people actually came from, uh, it's um it's it's quite interesting. And the challenge, though, so as Florencia was so clearly explained, was it was in her postdoc where she started to feel a little bit uncomfortable. And you, Mark, were saying that it was because the structures of the universities and the research teams were mostly um, men, but the it's just going to take time, right? Because doesn't it take eight to twelve years to get through the physics? Yes. Yeah, so, so I think the although there there are you know more and more women you know becoming physicists, I think the institution itself is still very male like, and so you know if you're in meetings, it's you know the person with the highest you know the the, the loudest voice or the person who's you know in some almost the rudest who can interrupt <laughs> someone and and you know give their own opinion. Those are the ones that whose voices are typically heard. So it's still you know, male-dominated in that sense. Uh, and so I think you know, there are sort of institutional changes, I think, that, you know, would, hmm. would also be good for the field in general. And what can we do, um, Daniela, to make it, you know, more a better environment for women 
Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, um, you should always think to make it a better environment for, for everyone. Everybody. Yes. <laughs> you know, I think that whenever you achieve uh, something for women, that is better for everybody. Mm. Um, and again, I think that everybody has a different experience. So for example, for me, my postdoc was the time of my life. I was, I stayed in Clio. I had a lot of freedom. You know, I felt like I was maturing very fast, but mm-hmm. I was only a postdoc for two and a half years. I got uh, to a faculty position in my third year of a postdoc, which is quite uh, Super unusual. Genius. Yes. Mm-hmm. No, no. It was just a coincidence. Sometimes you are lucky also a little bit, you know. So, um, so I, I had a very quick uh, postdoc. For me, the difficult part was more like when I was at Purdue, you know, because I was really the only woman in the whole faculty, 50 men. Um, <laughs> I had a daughter before getting tenure that nobody does it, you know. Mm. So I, I've not done things according to what you should do, perhaps. You Honestly, my daughter was born December 20. I was back at work January 7th. <laughs> And I, if you ask me now, Daniela, why did you do it? And Daniela, why, um, how did you do it? I, I probably will say that I don't know. I will go with my, you know, I will go in shift with my daughter. We will we'll drive together, you know, from Purdue to Fermila, and I will stay in the Fermila village. <laughs> my husband will ask, tell me, why don't you ask uh, to don't give you shift because you are, you know, you have a small child. And I would say, well, I feel like if, if I ask, then I'm treated differently. I'm, mm. I was silly almost, you know, I don't know why I did something, mm-hmm. you know, but again, you know, I did them. And, um, and sometimes I regret a little bit that I've done them mm-hmm. because I didn't spend as much time with my daughter as maybe I should have done. But in, in any case, um, I think that again, you know, don't make women choose, you know, yes. or men to, to have more flexibility so that, you know, you understand that, uh, you know, if you have a child, you have to take some time off and, uh, um, and this shouldn't count against you. Uh, making the environment uh, more open and making more clear what are the requirements for promotion for mm. every step of the career. And I think that these steps are really important for everybody. And again, you know, having classes for everybody against uh, people who bully you, people who interrupt you, you know, avoiding these things that Mark was saying that they happen in faculty meetings. That is always like the, <laughs> uh, the, the man with the loudest voice that, uh, mm. that has the final word, you know. And I think that, you know, um, uh, letting everybody know that it's okay to say, stop it, you shouldn't do this, you yeah. know, being... Uh, uh, being more able to talk and uh, be more, more able to uh, to express our thought and uh, uh, when things are are not right when are wrong and uh, trying to give a lot of encouragement and acknowledge uh, the work that is done by everybody exactly. a, at their career stage you know I, I think that it's a long list of things that we have to do actually. <laughs> for the so, whole planet we have to fix and what what a field did your daughter go into did she run screaming from Physics. Yeah, she ran screaming from physics. Yeah, <laughs> she did, never wanted to come to a physics department. You know, um, you know, she doesn't even enter them. You know, <laughs> and uh, she she studied actually voice performance at Oberlin College, oh, which is awesome. a fantastic uh, music school, a fantastic oh, environment. Yeah, that's wonderful. That's what I especially interested in the arts at CERN, and that's why I'm so grateful to Mark that he 
uh, embraced my theater project and um, he never made me feel <laughs> like I asked a dumb question. And look, we've actually made progress here. Uh, hopefully we're going to have a lot of listeners who who really excited about this. And yesterday I was uh, talking to a friend of mine, a Fulbright scholar from a program that I am involved with, Vital Voices. And I was telling her about you, Daniela, and Samantha Cristoforetti up there at the space station. And she said to me, why do I not know about these women? <laughs> I'm so uh, in awe of, you know, how the, the women who've done great work in science and then the incredible men too, like Mark, who are supporting us and and also have their own discoveries. And I'm really hoping that, yes, since if we're all made of the same God particles, we're going to all get along. We're all going to collaborate. <laughs> we're, we're just going to keep moving forward. And yeah, this fact of the, you know, flexibility and being allowed to make a mistake, that's also really important. And that's especially, I appreciate Mark. He never, maybe not to my face, laughed at me. (laughs) I mean, I would ask Mark some real doozies because I used to be a lot more interested in uh, vibrations and spirituality and where art and science meet. But what do you do when someone's condescending or they laugh at your research or they tell you, oh, you must be nuts? I noticed a lot of uh, these women scientists, they were told they were kind of nuts, right? But they kept going. So I just wish for myself also and to inspire other people when um, people are condescending in a group setting or um, disrespecting your discoveries or your intuitions, your hunches. How, How do you keep going with them? Um, I don't know. At the moment, I'm the head of the sub-department. So I put in the, the grant and I put together, you know, the big grant that pays everybody. Everybody is... Uh, <laughs> nice <not>. to you, <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's okay, yeah. Um, we did well and, uh, you know, so so in a sense, I, I don't feel that at the moment. But I feel it a lot for the students, actually. Um, you know, it's very competitive to enter in in Oxford. Mm-hmm. And I hear that a lot of uh, the students, uh, male students, tell to the female students that they are there only because they are women. Mm. And, um, yeah. So I, I do think that, uh, you know, what you're saying is uh, you're spot on in some respect. You still have to uh, fight against that. And, and again, the only thing that you can do is... Uh, uh, is to train people. You know, we are planning, for example, to have uh, classes that the students who are in, uh, mm. um, you know, like in the practicals and they are um, sort of teaching and interacting with uh, the undergraduate student. Uh, we are trying to teach them and, and to explain that actually the way that we select to women and men to uh, to enter in Oxford is exactly the same. <laughs> you know, mm. uh, there is no. Um, bias and again so we try as much as possible to go over and and to teach people to talk about it and to um you know dispel this kind of uh, preposterous ideas yeah. you know? <laughs> uh, again but you're right you know in some when i'm not in oxford and then when i go somewhere else you know obviously you know it, it, there might be some bodies that <laughs> you know that uh, um, listen what i find strange sometimes but it happens to me more in social situations uh-huh. Uh, like uh, my husband is also a, a physicist uh-huh. and, uh, you know, if my husband and I go together, uh, you know, to another college where, for example, they might not know us, etc., they will tend to listen more to him than to me. <laughs> so I do notice when the two of mm-hmm. us are together. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Okay. We're going to keep moving forward. And it's going to take time to right? what was I reading 
um, Cecilia Kapushkin, she, they didn't even give her a degree, right, at Cambridge, not until 1948. I don't know the year that Oxford um, started giving women degrees, but this is going to all take time until we all figure it out and uh, dismantle the old structure. So Yeah, but I can tell you that, you know, in the last faculty search that we had around a year ago, not two years ago now, uh, of the six candidates five were women that we hired, mm-hmm. you know, in different sub-departments. There is a lot of fantastic women coming along. You know, there are more women entering the field. There are more women, <laughs> uh, you know, postdoc, more women applying for faculty position and their quality is fabulous. Yeah. I'm going to have to come back to school and have you and Mark as my teachers, <laughs> but we're going to have to go have a party at CERN. I thank you both for all your enthusiasm and patience and creativity. And thank you for all your time and brilliant thoughts. Thanks, Daria. Okay, and it was, bye, it was fantastic Daria. talking to you, Daniela. Oh, and I, we'll it see. was so nice. I can't believe it. What Mark. a nice it's fantastic. Name. Yeah, hopefully, well, I'll see you there soon. Okay. Yes. yes, very good, very good. Okay, okay. Love ciao. That, okay. Arrivederci. Ciao, ciao. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank bye. you. Ciao. Grazie. Bye. Truth and beauty quarks. Wow. And, and God particles. I mean, it's so poetic and so elegant. Thank you, Dr. Mark and Dr. Daniela. You guys really rock. I'm truly inspired. Monumental mentors and mentors of mentors and mentors of mentors of mentors. Mentors really rule. Join us next week when we have Dr. Mark Cruz, our amazing mentor from CERN, and his colleague, the amazing Florencia Canelli from the CMS experiment at the Large Hadron Collider. Remember, keep looking up, stay positively charged. We are the stars. Goodbye for now. Adios. Arrivederci. Afirazin. Abiento. Disclaimer. The only DPS is not responsible for loss. Should this podcast, its subsidiaries, or its listeners disappear into a wormhole? The Oh My God Particle Show is part of Seneca Women Podcast Network and is produced by Dahlia Wild and iHeartRadio with sound design by Paul Mercier. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right rug flooring. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org.